This is the Bible in one year, day 238. God's Benefit Package I rediscovered one of my prayer diaries in which I recorded some of my early experiences of answered prayer. On the 26th of September 1976, I wrote about a prayer for my mother, prayed for the Lord to heal her insomnia. I did not tell her I was praying for her. Exactly three months later, on the 26th of December 1976, I wrote that my mother says she slept better in the last few weeks than for four years, and it is no longer a problem. Of course, it's not possible to prove Christianity on the basis of answers to prayer, because cynics can always explain them away as coincidence. But as former Archbishop of Canterbury William Temple said, when I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't, they don't. The cumulative effect of answered prayer is to reinforce our faith in God. Over the last 30 years, I have written by the New Testament passage for today some of my prayers for the year ahead. It's amazing to think back and remember the ways in which God has answered so many of these prayers. I find it very easy to forget all the answers to prayer. It's so easy to forget blessings. David reminds himself in the psalm for today not to forget all his benefits. Many are conscious of the benefits they receive associated with their employment or from the state. But what about the benefits that we receive from our loving Heavenly Father? From Psalm 103 Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Remember and thank God for all his benefits. There is so much to praise God for. David appears almost to be speaking to himself and urging himself on. Oh, my soul, bless God from head to toe. I bless your holy name. Oh, my soul, bless God. Don't forget a single blessing. David had clearly faced many troubles in his life, sin, disease, and the pit. Yet he, like the Apostle Paul, begins with praise for so many of God's benefits. First, forgiveness. God forgives all your sins. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Second, healing. God heals 
all your diseases. One day we will be completely healed. We see signs of this now when God heals us directly and supernaturally. In addition, God has put in our bodies the immune system, antibodies, and the mending process. Third, redemption. God redeems your life from the pit. There is no pit so deep that God's redemption cannot reach. Fourth, love. He crowns you with love and compassion. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Fifth, satisfaction. He satisfies your desires with good things. I praise you, Lord, for all your benefits, for your forgiveness and healing, for redeeming me, for crowning me with love and compassion, and for satisfying me with good things. New Testament from 2 Corinthians 1 Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us, as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. See his benefits, even in the midst of suffering. Have you suffered loss or bereavement? Are you facing some health issue? Are you under great pressure in your finances or some other area of your life? Are you being opposed or criticized? Are you in a time of difficulty, disappointment or hardship? Paul was the founding pastor of the Corinthian church. In this, his most personal letter, he reveals the heart of a leader. He reveals his feelings as a man of flesh and blood who knows what it is to go through trouble, sufferings, distress hardship and pressure. The word Paul uses means to be pushed down under great weight. He's been in despair. He's felt the sentence of death. He's faced deadly peril. As well as physical persecution, he's faced criticism, ridicule, sickness, depression, bereavement, injustice, disappointments, temptations, and difficult personal relationships. 
Sir Winston Churchill said, The pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity. The optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. By this definition, Paul was definitely an optimist. He starts the letter with praise, not for the problems, but for the positive benefits that have come through them. What are these benefits? How can you and I see the benefits in every difficulty? First, you will be comforted. The God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles. The word for comfort means to encourage, cheer and come alongside. God is the father of compassion. He is not immune from suffering. He comes alongside us and suffers with us. His Holy Spirit is the comforter. Second, you will be a help to others. If you are in a time of suffering right now, it might not seem much comfort, but one day you will bring great comfort to other people. He comes alongside us when we go through hard times, and before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who's going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. Those who face difficulty in life make the most effective ministers. Third, you will be changed. Hardship produces in you patient endurance. Like gold refined by fire or a vine pruned to produce more fruit, difficulties lead to patience, endurance, steadfastness and perseverance. They lead to character transformation. Fourth, you will not be alone. Paul writes, just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. The word he uses for share comes from the Greek word koinonia, which is a word used to describe the closest possible relationship. In times of difficulty, we should experience an extraordinary closeness of a relationship as we comfort and encourage one another. Your hard times are also our hard times. Fifth, you'll learn to trust God. When things go well, it's easy to become self-reliant. But when everything goes wrong and we reach the end of our tether, we're forced to trust God. As Paul puts it, instead of trusting in our own strength or wits to get out of it, we were forced to trust God totally. Sixth, you will be rescued. Paul writes, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we've set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. As you look back and see how God has delivered you in the past, you can be confident he will deliver you in the future. Seventh, your prayers will help others. Prayer is powerful. God really does answer prayer. One of the best ways you can help other people is by praying for them. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. When your prayers are answered, God will be glorified. Lord, help me to see the benefits in every difficulty. May I experience your comfort and learn to rely not on myself but on you. Lord, I cry out to you for help. Old Testament from 2 Chronicles 26-28 to Then all the people of Judah took Isaiah who was sixteen years old, and made him king in place of his father Amaziah. He was the one who rebuilt Elath and restored it to Judah after Amaziah rested with his ancestors. Isaiah was sixteen years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for fifty-two years. 
His mother's name was Jecoliah. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. He went to war against the Philistines and broke down the walls of Gath, Jabna, and Ashdod. He then rebuilt towns near Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabs who lived in Gur-Baal and against the Meunites. The Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah, and his fame spread as far as the border of Egypt because he had become very powerful. Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, at the valley gate, and at the angle of the wall, and he fortified them. He also built towers in the wilderness and dug many cisterns, because he had much livestock in the foothills and in the plain. He had people working his fields and vineyards in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. Uzziah had a well-trained army, ready to go out by divisions according to their numbers as mustered by Jeiel, the secretary, and Maasiah, the officer, under the direction of Hananiah, one of the royal officials. The total number of family leaders over the fighting men was 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500 men trained for war, a powerful force to support the king against his enemies. Uzziah provided shields, spears, helmets, coats of armor, bows and slingstones for the entire army. In Jerusalem, he made devices invented for use on the towers and on the corner defenses, so that soldiers could shoot arrows and hurl large stones from the walls. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. But after Isaiah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Azariah the priest, with eighty other courageous priests of the Lord, followed him in. They confronted King Uzziah and said, It is not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful and you will not be honored by the Lord God. Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand ready to burn incense, became angry. While he was raging at the priests in their presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. When Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, they saw that he had leprosy on his forehead, so they hurried him out. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous and excluded from the temple of the Lord. Jotham, his son, had charge of the palace and governed the people of the land. The other events of Uzziah's reign from beginning to end are recorded by the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. Uzziah rested with his ancestors, and was buried near them in a cemetery that belonged to the kings, for people said he had leprosy. And Jotham his son succeeded him as king. 2 Chronicles chapter 27 Jotham was twenty-five years old when he became king, 
and he reigned in Jerusalem for sixteen years. His mother's name was Jerusha, daughter of Zadok. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Uzziah had done. But unlike him, he did not enter the temple of the Lord. The people, however, continued their corrupt practices. Jotham rebuilt the upper gate of the temple of the Lord and did extensive work on the wall at the hill of Ophel. He built towns in the hill country of Judah and forts and towers in the wooded areas. Jotham waged war against the king of the Ammonites and conquered them. That year, the Ammonites paid him a hundred talents of silver, ten thousand cores of wheat and ten thousand cores of barley. The Ammonites brought him the same amount also in the second and third years. Jotham grew powerful because he walked steadfastly before the Lord his God. The other events in Jotham's reign, including all his wars and the other things he did, are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. He was twenty-five years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for sixteen years. Jotham rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David, and Ahaz, his son, succeeded him as king. 2 Chronicles chapter 28 Ahaz was twenty years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for sixteen years. Unlike David his father, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He followed the ways of the kings of Israel and also made idols for worshipping the Baals. He burned sacrifices in the valley of Ben-Hinnom and sacrificed his children in the fire, engaging in the detestable practices of the nations that the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He offered sacrifices and burned incense at the high places, on the hilltops, and under every spreading tree. Therefore the Lord his God delivered him into the hands of the king of Aram. The Arameans defeated him and took many of his people as prisoners and brought them to Damascus. He was also given into the hands of the king of Israel, who inflicted heavy casualties on him. In one day, Pekah, son of Ramaliah, killed a 120,000 soldiers in Judah, because Judah had forsaken the Lord, the God of their ancestors. Zikri, an Ephraimite warrior, killed Maasiah, the king's son, Azrikam, the officer in charge of the palace, and Elkanah, second to the king. The men of Israel took captive from their fellow Israelites, who were from Judah, 200,000 wives, sons, and daughters. They also took a great deal of plunder which they carried back to Samaria. But a prophet of the Lord named Oded was there, and he went out to meet the army when it returned to Samaria. He said to them, Because the Lord, the God of your ancestors, was angry with Judah, he gave them into your hand. But you have slaughtered them in a rage that reaches to heaven. And now you intend to make the men and women of Judah and Jerusalem your slaves. But aren't you also guilty of sins against the Lord your God? Now listen to me. Send back your fellow Israelites that you have taken as prisoners, for the Lord's fierce anger rests on you. Then some of the leaders in Ephraim, Azariah, son of Jehohanan, Berechiah, son of Meshillamoth, Jehizkiah, son of Shalom, and Amasa, son of Hadlei, confronted those who were arriving from the war. You must not bring those prisoners here, they said, or we will be guilty before the Lord. Do you intend to add to our sin and guilt? 
for our guilt is already great, and his fierce anger rests on Israel. So the soldiers gave up the prisoners and plunder in the presence of the officials and all the assembly. The men designated by name took the prisoners, and from the plunder they clothed all who were naked. They provided them with clothes and sandals, food and drink, and healing balm. All those who were weak they put on donkeys. So they took them back to their fellow Israelites at Jericho, the city of Palms, and returned to Samaria. At that time, King Ahaz sent to the kings of Assyria for help. The Edomites had again come and attacked Judah and carried away prisoners, while the Philistines had raided towns in the foothills and in the Negev of Judah. They captured and occupied Beth Shemesh, Ajalon, and Gadiroth, as well as Soko, Timnah, and Gimzoh, with their surrounding villages. The Lord had humbled Judah because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had promoted wickedness in Judah and had been most unfaithful to the Lord. Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came to him, but gave him trouble instead of help. Ahaz took some of the things from the temple of the Lord and from the royal palace and from the officials and presented them to the king of Assyria, but that did not help him. In his time of trouble, King Ahaz became even more unfaithful to the Lord. He offered sacrifices to the gods of Damascus who had defeated him, for he thought, since the gods of the kings of Aram have helped them, I will sacrifice to them so that they will help me. But they were his downfall, and the downfall of all Israel. Ahaz gathered together the furnishings from the temple of God and cut them in pieces. He shut the door of the Lord's temple and set up altars at every street corner in Jerusalem. In every town in Judah he built high places to burn sacrifices to other gods and aroused the anger of the Lord, the God of his ancestors. The other events of his reign and all his ways from beginning to end are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. Ahaz rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of Jerusalem, but he was not placed in the tombs of the kings of Israel. And Hezekiah, his son, succeeded him as king. Don't let his benefits make you proud. Times when things are going well can be as much a test upon our faith as the times when things are not going well. Abraham Lincoln, who as President of the United States knew all about power, said nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. Uzziah started so well. He became king, aged only 16. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He was a loyal seeker after God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. God helped him. He became famous and he became quite powerful. Everything seemed to go his way. When he was seeking God, God answered his prayers, helping him, giving him success. However, it all went horribly wrong when he became powerful. Fame, success and power are intoxicating. They carry with them the dangers of pride and arrogance. But then... The strength and success went to his head. Arrogant and proud, he fell. He did what was specifically forbidden in Scripture, in spite of the fact that many of the leaders confronted him and warned him against being unfaithful. Instead of listening to them in his pride, he lost his temper. This is a warning. If things go well, do not become proud. Keep trusting and obeying God. Lord, 
Help me to keep praising you, relying on you, and seeking you all my life. Pepper adds, In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, The Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Sadly, we are not spared troubles in this life, but we do have a compassionate Father who is the God of all comfort, not just some comfort, and who is able to comfort us in every single trouble that we face.